Well, good morning, you big bunch of peacemakers, you. God bless all six of you who know why I'm saying that, because you remembered our text from last week. So take out your note sheet. That'll help keep us on track again today, give you something to take with you and work on during the week if you don't have something else that you're working through. We're going to talk again today about the blessed life. What are those things that God honors, that he blesses? Um, great message that uh, Jesus is preaching here. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, he's talking to primarily followers, or at least people who are interested in the truth. Um, and some people obviously hadn't uh, uh, made up their minds yet. But today we want to talk about uh, the third Sunday in Advent. Is it, where's my, where are my Lutheran Catholic friends at? What's, what's Sunday three in Advent? Anybody remember? Love. I think. If I've got it wrong, it's love. I didn't grow up with, with Advent Sundays. It's just the church tradition I grew up in. But uh, today we want to talk about love and light, and this is our text. And it might seem a little scrambled to you, but I think, I think with God's help we'll be able to make sense of this. Last week we worked on verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called what? Sons of God, daughters of God, children of God of God. That's a great promise. I don't know about you, but I'd be all right with God as my dad. Hmm. Okay, well, you know, you're entitled. Verse 10 says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what I want to do real quick, I want to remind you of the structure of this message, not my message, this message, this is what Jesus is preaching here. So the, the first half, if you will, the first three things he mentions are things that are of, um, of a low position, of, a, of a, I almost want to use the word deficit, um, a, a longing. So he mentions things like poor in spirit, people who, are, who mourn, the promise that they'll be comforted, mourning, yes, over loss of, of people that are important, but specifically uh, mourning over your shortcomings. The things that you know that you uh, need to do better at, that you're not honoring God well at, and you have that, 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 that uh, sense of your need for God. And then he talks about those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. The, the second uh, uh, set are more things to do with fullness or the pursuit of, of godliness, of, 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 uh, of, a, of a completeness uh, is what I want to say. So he talks about mercy there, uh, uh, pure at heart peacemakers we talked about uh, those things all right then he rolls into this this uh, promise that blessed are those who are persecuted now, I don't know about you but again today I'm going to tell you some of my thoughts uh, um, how did you know you and I've been hanging out too long for too many years uh, persecution's just not on my to-do list I don't know about you but I don't have, you know, I got a few things I'd like to finish this year. None of them include more heartburn. All right? None of them include having people talk mean to me. Uh, uh, none of them have uh, to do with having people lie about me. But what Jesus says here clearly is, blessed are you, those people who are persecuted for what reason? Righteousness. I want, to, I want to get that clear quick, because we get this wrong. Reality is, friends, not all 
people who are persecuted are blessed. Think about it real quick with me for a minute. Uh, there's people, uh, unfortunately, throughout world history who have been persecuted just because they're a, they're a part of a specific people group in a country, a nationality, uh, or a, a, a sub-portion of a country, right? And uh, uh, so it, typically it's the smaller populations or a minority population, and so they're persecuted. I'm not saying that's okay, but that's not what the Bible says. All right, I'm not encouraging that. All right, but what the Bible says clearly are blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. All right, how many of you have ever been persecuted because of your own stupidity? Please, somebody raise their hand. All right, if you're holding a baby, you don't. You're you're all, all day today. You don't even have to raise your hand. All right. In fact, please don't. All right. That's gonna get. You know, I mean, hey, if I make stupid mistakes, if, if, if I say wrong things, if, I, if my behavior isn't godly, I might pay a price for that, right? Now, will God be with me? Yes, but we got to make sure we go, well, they're picking on me because, no, you just did something stupid, my friend. Realize that. You knew it was wrong or you tried to get away with it or whatever the situation is. What the Bible says here is that when you're persecuted for righteousness. So I want to give you the, the definition that we're going to use to work with for righteousness today. So fill these in on the bottom of your note sheet, front side. Right living in God's eyes for God's glory. There's different definitions you can use for righteousness, but I think that gets us close enough to biblically accurate to work with today. Right living in God's eyes for God's glory. The truth is, friends, there's a right way to do life, and there's a wrong way to do life. And there's a hundred variations between whatever poles that you and I might set up, but there is one right way to live, and that's according to God's standards. It's according to God's ways of doing things or not doing things. We do not get to modify those, regardless of what you know point we are in history, 2018, 1918, doesn't matter. Right? doesn't matter where you're at in life, if you're young or you're old. Biblical standards, godly standards, what God would view as right or wrong is the standard. We're not a big shout in church, but somebody say amen. Right? Can we, I mean, do we agree on that? God's standard in God's eyes. Because one of the things that we get caught up in is trying to live to uh, uh, please other people. How you know that's a great game that will send you to crazy real fast. Yeah. You're trying to please this group of people. You're trying to please that group of people. Their opinion of you changes, so you change yourself to try to regain their approval. You drive yourself batty real quick. Righteousness is right living in God's eyes for God's glory. We don't try to live right in God's eyes so that people will think well of us here on earth. How many of you raise your hand with me and say, I'm okay with people thinking I'm a half-decent person. If I have a choice between you liking me and disliking me, I'm choosing liking me every time. And I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but there was actually some people here last hour that don't like me. But we're going to love them anyway. It's not about me. Righteousness is not about us and, and, and gaining personal attention or personal approvals, building personal kingdoms, uh, 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 you know, alternate agendas. It's about bringing glory to God. If you remember, if you don't, just notate it and double-check me. But uh, 
uh, earlier, Jesus is talking about a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders and teachers of the day. Some of you know a little bit about those groups, but just so that we all end up on the same page, let's talk about them for a minute. They were somewhat notorious for doing the right things for the wrong motive, right? Like one of the things that they were well known for was praying out in public. Now, if we just said a yes or no statement, is it okay to pray in public? What would be the answer to that from a biblical standpoint? Yeah, nothing wrong with that, right? But let's just say, let me put on my, my pharmaceutical robe here. And say I stood right out here on the corner over here by the Chevron station and uh, made sure to get there before the morning uh, rush hour. <laughs> well, woodland rush hour, all right? You know, where everybody's going to school and, and, and that, just that whole cluster there, right? And uh, so I'm out there praying, just praying. I'm looking holy. And I stay there all day. And I intentionally stay there until you drive home because what I want you to do is go, wow. Pastor Todd's amazing, which is true, but stay on track. He's been out there praying all day. He was there when I drove to work, and, and, and I worked all day, and, and I come home, and he's still out there praying. Wow. At that point, I've done the right thing with the wrong motive. I've been praying out in public so that you would notice me. So that you would think whatever I wanted you to think. And that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did often. They did the right thing. They did it with the wrong motive. I want, I want to make sure we get this right, friends. Because if we don't, this whole scripture kind of falls apart. It's not scripture's fault. It's our responsibility to know and understand the truth. Right? So if I do the right thing with the right motive, I'm in good shape. But when I do it with the wrong motive, I totally, totally miss it. So you aren't Pharisees and Sadducees, and neither am I. But so let me give you an, another example. You got a, you got this little envelope here in your in your program. Put them in all month. Uh, church tradition has always been we have a, a special offering every year, Christmas offering. We use this as compassion funds to help needy people all throughout the year. All right, and it's a great uh, uh, opportunity. Now let's just say that God speaks to my heart. My wife and I are talking this week. We say, "Hey, what are we going to do about our uh, our Christmas offering?" And and God drops a number in our heart. He goes, "Hey, you know, I think we should probably give a thousand bucks." Right? And so if that's what God wants me to do, what should I do? I should do that. I shouldn't try to triple it and impress you. I should do what God wanted me to do. But something I could do maybe to let you know, and this is totally hypothetical, by the way, is I could go over to my bank over here and get $1,000 in nickels. See, and what am I doing? Well, I want you to notice what I'm giving, right? Pastor, what's wrong with your name? Oh, it's just, I just got my Christmas offering. I got bags of coins hanging all over me on Sunday morning because, because of what I want to do is give and honor God. No, I want to give and make sure you know that I'm giving, right? Now, maybe that's not the there, The point is this. You can do the right thing. You do it with the wrong motive. You, you, you do it in the wrong way. You miss it. Because righteousness is driven out of a deep love for God. A sincere, and it, I, we can't re-preach all of these, but a, a, a pure heart. 
a heart that is properly angled towards, focused in on God. I'm not worried about what you think of me. I'm very concerned about what God thinks of me. I'm very interested in knowing and understanding what God wants me to do and what's going to honor him. And I'm going to be diligent about that. If you notice that or you don't notice that, that doesn't change my motivation at all. It doesn't change my schedule. It doesn't change my intention. I motor forward. It's incredibly important that we realize that righteousness is right living in God's eyes so that God gets the glory. And we could pick a whole bunch of different things. It might not be giving financially. It might not be uh, a prayer. The Bible gives us instructions about fasting. Not exactly the most popular spiritual discipline, but it is in the book. This means yes. This means no. This means I'm not going to answer, Pastor, because I don't really want to fast. Okay? And what is the instruction there? Hey, don't let everybody know you're fasting. All right? Like I'll tell you the worst day in, in, in the calendar you're to fast. Thanksgiving. Not because it's a day that you have to try to avoid the sin of gluttony, but it's just, I mean, how are you going to, sorry, I'm fasting. Pick any other day eh, where you can do it quietly in between you and God, and it's not something you're trying to get attention and bolster yourself up on some kind of, uh, uh, you know, spiritual uh, points chart where you make yourself look better than, than other people. It's incredibly important that we realize that righteousness is driven out of a love for God. Many of you know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's what we're about to celebrate here in just, just a couple weeks. Right? Righteousness is driven out of I love God. I want to do things right in God's eyes. And I want for God to get the glory. There's an amazing promise at the end of this verse. Let's look at it. We're not going to spend much time on it today, but it's, it's, it's awesome. For theirs is the kingdom of, what's the Bible say there? Heaven. I'm going to give you permission again today to smile when the Bible talks about you and I ending up in heaven. It's quite a place. It doesn't just say, hey, yours is the kingdom of this earth. The older I get, the less impressed I get with this world. I'm able to outlive most of the stuff that I can get that this world has to provide for me. Even the best of cars wears out. I'm not going to mention any brands. Eh? Even the best of houses. I mean, could somebody just build a house with a roof that lasts forever? That won't grow moss? Evidently, the answer is no. Eh? Nothing wrong with a nice house, but I'm getting to the age where I start looking at stuff and I go, you know, hey, if I put a 20-year roof on it, I might have to deal with that. But if I put a 30-year roof on it, it's going to be my kid's problem. Think what you want of me, but that's the way I think. Yeah. You know, it's just you get, the Bible doesn't say, hey, I'm going to give you the ultimate earth experience. What he says is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's really where God is setting us up for. That's, that's where he wants us to end up. That's his desire. If I were to say something like, this is our temporary home, we're just passing through. Many of you who are believers, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yet we work so hard on trying to make this world 
just as perfect as we can get. And as Clint already pointed out, I'm adverse to pain. I like easy street. But the reality is, is for a believer, if you live a righteous life, persecution will happen. It's not gone out of style. It is not expired just because we're in 2018. Am I the only one in the room that feels like we just cracked into the 2000s? Now we're about ready to hit perfection, right? Some of you are tracking with me, right? 2020. There were some times in my life I didn't even know that I would be alive in 2020. It seemed so far out there, right? God's not trying to give us the ultimate earth experience. He takes great care of us while we're here, and I appreciate that very much. I like my house. I'm fond of dry a bedroom to sleep in every night. I love running water. I love my hot water heater. I mean, I'm, I'm not all that rough and tumble, man. I, I like it easy. But there's a place called heaven that Jesus promises here in his sermon that, you know what, if you suffer persecution, if people talk bad about you, if they lie about you, say evil things, it's okay. Why? Because, look, 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 verse 12 rejoice and be glad. No, no, I know. I'm like, no, I'll just skip the persecution, all right? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were born before you. I I don't say this lightly, but just because we don't have a bunch of time to detail everything out, persecution is nothing new. My opinion is that in modern-day America, our persecution is pretty light. There are places in this world where it's still illegal to be a believer. You know these kind of things. They can't gather like you. That's why we pray on a regular basis and thank God that we can gather like you. People are still killed, the word is martyred, for their faith in 2018 around the world. One reason. Not because they're tall or short or skinny or fat or pretty or ugly or whatever definition you want to give. No, because they're a believer and they won't say no. And it ends up costing them their life. Whatever that persecution looks like, I want to let you know, it's, it's driven out of righteous, a love for righteousness. We don't go and seek persecution. Righteousness is not doing something with the intention that it would bother unbelievers. Right? Righteousness is, I so love God, I'm going to work my tail off to live a life that honors him. As many things as I can get right, as often as I can get them right, for his glory. You hear me pray often, and I do it intentionally, that God would help us to live uh, 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 righteously in small ways and large ways, in ways that people notice and don't notice. But it's not about them. It's between you and God. Each of us has to give an account at the end of our life. We know that. And so when we look at righteousness and he says, if if you're persecuted because of righteousness, that's because you're pursuing God. You love him that much that you're willing to go against the grain. You're not going against the grain because you want to be a pot stirrer or you want to draw personal attention to yourself. You're going against the grain because you want to do what's best for you in your relationship with God. So true righteousness is born out of a love for God. Turn your note sheet over. The root of persecution, anybody want to venture a guess, is what? Is actually it's love. You'll be persecuted 
for the things that you deeply love. And if that's God, Scripture tells us here, persecution is part of your life. I've never been deeply persecuted. I just haven't. I've been left out of a few things because my lifestyle doesn't line up with the lifestyle of, of that, that event or whatever. And so, you know, people don't want you there. And you go, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> I've had people call me a few names, but, you know, not all of them were believers. You'll get that joke later. Don't worry about it. The root of persecution is actually love. I love God so much. I'm okay with that stuff. I'm not looking for it. I'm not out farming it. I'm not out trying to stir it up. But I realize that, hey, a wholehearted pursuit of godliness is going to run contrary to culture. It just always has. There's a deep-seated problem in our human lives. Amongst them is the fact that we can only love one thing. Oh, many of us, I say us because I have to include myself in this, uh, have, have tried We've tried to live in both worlds, a, a life that is solely directed towards God. But, you know, I wouldn't be mind just, you know, scooping off the top of the best that the world has to offer. It'll cost me to give up a few things of godliness, but we, we're willing to make an exchange. It's actually very expensive. I don't suggest it. The Bible says it this way in Luke chapter 16. No servant can what? Serve two masters. You've got one thing. Listen to me, those of you that are exception makers. I know you're awesome. I know you're amazing. you got a skill set that has, is unmatchable. But the Bible's true. That it's abundantly clear you can only serve one master. You can't have two masters. That includes yourself. Either God's in control or you're in control. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Again, listen, friends, people have been trying for millennium. It doesn't work. You cannot serve both God and money. He's hitting on the issue of money here because it was the issue he was dealing with uh, 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 with those people. The Pharisees, <laughs> we are just talking about them, who loved money, heard all this and were what? Sneering at Jesus. Now here's the great thing. None of us in this room are so stupid as to sneer at Jesus. But how many times have we read the Bible, it's clear instructions and went, yeah, I'll work on it later. Eh, I'm not sure that really still applies to 2018. We're kind of a modern society. That's kind of old-fashioned. Nobody wants to be old-fashioned unless you're an ice cream flavor. That's the only way. That's the only time it's cool. Okay? But when we look at it, he's so clear. There's just, there's just really no wiggle room. Pharisees sneered at Jesus. Jesus' reply is listed there in verse 15. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. See, that's not righteousness. You can always find a group to justify you. And then they're going to look for you to justify them. Our justification is in Christ, in biblical standards. But God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Friends, we can't serve two masters. When we talk about love and light, Christmas, the gift of Jesus Christ, life change, it's all about God's love. His love for you. The reality of, of, of that. 
I made a list here because I, I didn't want to just shoot from the hip. That tends to get myself in trouble, and I'm already in enough trouble. But what are some of the contrasts? When the Bible says, you know, you, you, you either hate one and, and love the other, or you're devoted to one and you despise the other. Well, if you're an individual who's decided to serve others in the name of Jesus Christ, you might offend others who have decided to live a self-centered, self-serving life. Now, don't serve others to try to make other people look bad. That's not biblical. Right? But if, if you've responded to the call of God to serve in whatever areas, whatever capacities, realize that for people who haven't, I'm not saying they don't love God, but they're, they're, they're not there. there. There's a good chance for some offense and potentially some persecution. If you embrace discipline and stewardship, you'll expose laziness and slothful lifestyle. It's not for you to do. You just pursue what God has for you. If you live and speak with compassion, you'll expose hard-heartedness and arrogance. If you pursue self-control, excesses of all types will be uncovered. And we live in a pretty excessive world. If you cherish chastity, biblical standards for your life, you'll likely offend those who embrace free love and sex. You just push back to what the Bible tells us to do. If you live simply and humbly and happily, those who love and require luxury might react. Now, don't do any of that, those things or others to get a reaction. Do it because you love God. And so you have a love for righteousness, a desire to do it right and please Him and honor Him. It seems simple, friends, but it's absolutely profound to revisit the reality that you can't serve two masters. Your heart is captivated by something. It wakes you up at night, gets you up early in the morning. It, it drives you, keeps you on whatever path that you're on. And if it's a godly righteousness, that that's good. If it's anything other than that, friends, change. Change quickly, maybe even today. Because Jesus makes a bold promise. When you're persecuted because of righteousness, because of right living, the kingdom of heaven is yours. That's a great, powerful promise. It's getting awful quiet in Grace Community Church this morning. I'm glad you're excited about persecution and righteousness. Let's talk just a little quickly with a little bit of time that we have. Uh, what are the responses? Uh, there's a positive response and there's a negative response. So let's talk about the first one. It's the one that's listed in our text, in, uh, specifically verses 10, 11, 12. One response to righteousness is to reject and to react. Again, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. I don't know the last time you were insulted, but my instant response is not feeling blessed. If that's your instant response, congratulations. Once again, you're ahead of me. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. What's the Bible say? I want us to read it out loud. Because of me. I want to make sure we hem this thing in to the biblical standard. It doesn't say that you're blessed when people say all kinds of bad things against you because you've been trashing on them, because you've been involved in gossip circles for weeks or months or years. 
The Bible doesn't say that. Okay? It's very specific to, uh, to righteousness for a person who's striving to live right in God's eyes for God's glory. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You want to do that. Look at, uh, like, you mean, look at like, Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, the stuff that they used to do to people really is just, I mean, we wouldn't talk about it with small kids in here, right? Look at how many people uh, uh, in Scripture died a martyr's death. And, and I'm not talking about painless death either. Right? I'm talking like burned at the stake. I'm talking like cut in half, ugly, awful, right? He says, you know, that, that stuff is probably reality because some people are going to reject and continue to reject and continue to reject. And at some point, they may react. They may actually work against you. Now, are they really working against you? No. I told first hour, so it's, it's fair that you have the same information as they do. I'm just going to kind of throw this out there, and then I'm going to run away from it because I don't want you to be mad at me. Part of this whole persecution equation it would help you for maybe as your pastor if I just said, get over yourself. Because we say, well, but it's not you. I don't know if you have the same desire. I would love to have been alive while Jesus was here on earth. Wouldn't that have been fun to see? Right? Kind of. What I could tell you about myself, if I was here, I would have been one of the first followers. I would have been one of the best followers. And I would have been one of the most faithful followers, not like those flaky guys. So I'd like to think of myself. Now, if you believe that, i got a bridge I can sell you. We'll talk about that later. How many times was Jesus rejected? How many times did Jesus have people react strongly against him? Sometimes, and again, maybe you don't do this, but I, you get this kind of rosy-colored a uh, 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 view of Jesus' life. I say jokingly, but you know why Jesus didn't own a house? Because he was constantly running from people. He couldn't afford to move that much. He had more people that hated him than loved him oftentimes. You know, we talk today about, in modern church circles, you know, mega churches. You know who the first mega church guy was? Jesus. Guys preaching to thousands of people. We get all soaked now. And I'm, I'm, I'm fine with large churches. I, I truly am. Right? What I like is healthy churches. All right? Whatever the size ends up being, that's you know, probably a much, much more up to God than it is you and I. But realize how the people reacted to Jesus himself. Because I don't know about you, but I don't like it when I share God's love with people and they act like I'm crazy. I don't know about you when they pour your heart about somebody and you want nothing but God's best for you and they look at you like you're absolutely insane. They make some snide comment. I never enjoy when I get opportunity to share with people. Sometimes I, I'm with people at, at, at the end of their life. And you know what? Some people love and embrace God. I'll tell you one of the most heartbreaking things is for people to pass into eternity and some of the last words they've ever said is, no, I don't believe that. And it's so easy for us to take that personal. So I want to just say, Todd and Grace, get over yourself. It's not about you. They're not rejecting you so much. By the way, you are awesome. Can we just establish that? Right? But right living always goes against sinful living. 
God-honoring desires will always run contrary to the desires of the flesh. And so that's why Jesus is saying, hey, this is what it, this is a Todd Cloud paraphrase version, this is what it looks like to be a Christ follower. That when, because of righteousness, people do mean things to you, no, they did it to me as well. What was Jesus' ultimate fate? Somebody quickly. We took it down, but the cross, right? The Roman cross. I mean, if you don't like a guy and you want to get rid of him once and for all, what do you do? Or her? Yeah. Crucify him. Or on the East Coast, whack him. Or have somebody whack him. <laughs> Sorry, Ed. I didn't mean to insult the East Coast there. <laughs> right? I mean, they think they're going to solve the problem. The problem is, is righteous living is driven by love for God, not for earthly approval. Friends, don't pursue righteousness so that people will think you're awesome. Let me give you another thing we can get wrong with righteousness. I love that you're here today. I mean that with all sincerity. Let me tell you a couple of reasons why I love that you're here. Because I've been looking forward all week to worshiping together. The only time we get to do this is Sunday mornings. So if you call me tomorrow and say, hey, pastor, let's get everybody to work, get together and worship today at lunch. Guess what? It's going to be you and me. And that's okay, but you can't replace this dynamic. But how many of you know you can go to church and, and think, well, pastor, I, even though they say they don't use those communication cards for attendance, I think they do. Well, you are wrong. <laughs> we got no attendance spreadsheet. But it's a, your attendance is not only an obedience to God, but sometimes it's a gift to other people because you get to encourage them by being here. Now, hopefully you get to benefit by being here as well. Right? But if the only reason I go to church or one of the main drivers I go to church is to be seen, I can't tell you how many times it's happened now that I've been a pastor for a couple of years. Um, you know, well, pastor, I haven't been here in a few weeks. And it's not that we didn't notice, but we're not looking down on you. I, I specifically coach the greeters at our doors not to tell people how many weeks it's been here since they've been here. Because who likes to walk in and go, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. I mean, do you like that? I don't like that. Because yeah. that's not what it's about. Love to gather with our church family. Love to pray for each other and encourage each other. Find out what's going on in your, your life. Be involved in ministry projects together. Last hour, for whatever reason, I was, I was quiet for a minute, which is unusual. And uh, the kids were over here, and you could hear their worship song. I was great. Now, what it did is it brought out you know, my ADHD, because I was totally like, boom, squirrel, boom. But I'm in here a lot during the week. And you know what I never hear except for on Sunday morning? A group of kids in that room right over there worshiping God. But if the only reason we're doing it is, well, hey, Pastor, I don't know if you noticed, I got record attendance this week. Good. God's honored by that. He's blessed by that. But what we don't do is we don't do it to try to impress each other or get some kind of spiritual points. One of the things that happens with persecution is people reject God and they react. Here's the reality, friends, and, and we've got to keep moving because we're almost out of time. At some point, if you're a believer here today, at some point you are a rejecter. It happens. It can happen. God can do it. He can do it with great ease. But many of us didn't respond to God's offer for forgiveness, atonement for our sin, 
and guaranteed entrance into heaven the very first time we heard about it. So one of the things that I choose to believe about people that I'm involved with, I call them my friends, that aren't believers yet, is that they're not believers yet. But they're still considering. That might be you today. You're still trying to decide what you believe is the truth. You know, Pastor, you're, you're totally convinced that the Bible is the real deal, but you're not convinced. I trust God's ability to speak into your life and to draw you because he's always doing that because he loves us. He loves us so much that he would gift his son. We're going to celebrate that here in a couple of minutes. Don't be a rejecter. Don't be a reactor. The other option is number two there on your fill-ins, and this is where God would have us to be, be people who embrace righteousness and engage in it. Don't get frustrated because somebody in your community group is praying. Join them in praying. If it's true, don't make it up, but say, hey, man, you know, I kind of struggle with that. Could we pray together about that? Find somebody, call them up, what, you know, whatever it needs to be. But the reality is, friends, is we're one side or we're the other. We're either with God and for God or we're against him. We love that neutral position. We, we love that gray area. We love that, 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 that Swiss citizenship, the spiritual realm. It doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. John chapter 3 says this. Everyone who does evil hates what the Bible say there? The light. And will not come into the light, for they fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what has uh, been done has been done through God. It's an immature argument, but it's offered up oftentimes. Well, uh, you know, I don't want to be. Listen, one of the things, if you pursue God, he will help you be humble. I just I, because I'm in the habit of it. But even this week, nothing, nothing, nothing sinful, just limits. I, I ran smack dab into some some limits of some things that I really wish that I could do. I just can't. I just I don't. The skill set's so far out there. And you know what that is to me? That's frustrating. Because I'm still young enough to feel like I could unbutton my shirt and there'd be a Superman S on the front of it. Right? But we embrace who God has for us. We engage in the process of righteous living. Knowing that anything that happens is from God. And he's the one that gets the glory. We don't have to, we don't have to worry about it. And then lastly, Matthew chapter 5 uh, says this. You're the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand let me just stop there this is before a day and time where they had electricity obviously so their their lighting wasn't fixed it was portable lamps right and so you would take it around you and again their houses weren't mcmansions either uh, but you would take it around the house with you one of the things you could do is you could put it on a raised stand a lampstand to light the whole room Okay, so we don't really run that way, but some of you uh, have lamps in your house. So that's what he's talking about when he's talking about moving it. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's my prayer for us this week, friends. 
that the light of God's love in your life and my life would so shine in the, the world. I'm not going to impact the whole world this week. I don't mean to disappoint you. Neither are you. But my light's going to shine. And a prayer is that it would shine in such a manner that people would see my good works and they wouldn't glorify me. They wouldn't get stoked about how awesome Todd Cloud is. They wouldn't get so stoked about Grace Community Church. I'm happy with both of those things, by the way. But that God would be glorified. Amen? Kevin's got a great song for us. Would you stand? I want to close this in a word of prayer. As we always do and we always need, let's pray for God's help. Father God, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the Advent season where we get to focus on the coming of your Son, the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, not only into our world, but into our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be people who love righteousness. That have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, such that we have to feed that thirst, hunger. That we have to quench that thirst. Lord, I pray you would do works in our individual lives that would glorify you. Whether people notice or not isn't even on our agenda. We want to please you. We want to be a group of people, a church, a family, a gathering of people that please you on a regular basis. Lord, for those around the world who are suffering persecution because of righteousness, we'd ask for your help for them today. If that's anybody in this room or our community, I don't know. There are some people who suffer greatly because of their belief in you. Give them strength. Pour into their lives things that we hardly even know that you could do. But we believe that you can and we ask that you will in your name.